Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, this is a real delight to come and um, share this morning because, uh, well, first of all, just so uh, it's wonderful to meet some new friends today, um, uh, and also see some old friends, uh, and, and uh, Tanya and Jonathan are some of our dearest friends. Um, we, uh, I am always indebted to Tanya, who led my wife Tara to faith when they were teenagers, oh, and so um, they were at Taramara High School together and uh, took uh, Tanya to Tara to um, the Christian group that met um, there once a week and, um, and they've formed a lifelong friendship and uh, it's, uh, they were bridesmaids for one another and um, so yeah but that, that coming to faith for, for Tara is quite significant and I've married a wonderful woman. We've got two, two lovely girls, Bella and Heidi, they're eight and six but they've all been battling colds this week so that's why they're not here this morning and uh, disappointed not to, not to join. Um, I, um, I realised earlier this year, going into 2022, that I have been walking with Jesus in October for 30 years, um, which probably gives you a guess of my age now. Yeah. But um, I'm 42. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, I am... Um, so as I reflect on that, I've kind of been reflecting, what has, what has that journey been like? Um, and there's been... Lots of ups and downs. There's been lots of moments where I haven't done that, done the following bit well, uh, and there's been highs as well where I've had amazing experiences of God doing wonderful things uh, in my life and through my life. Um, one of those, one of those key moments for me. I was 18, and I didn't go to university. Instead, I thought I'll go travelling. Um, a bishop invited me um, to go on a youth pilgrimage, uh, and this this trip took us to um, parts of Africa, Middle East, and then on to Europe um, for about six weeks, looking at different Christian responses um, and forms of worship and different things. The first country we uh, ever visited um, was Ethiopia, um, so it wasn't. England or US or New Zealand or some typical place where you might have your first experience overseas. Uh, it was Ethiopia and you got off the plane and you know chugged along on this dusty road to in, into the capital Addis Ababa and where we stayed for a, a week before travelling out into the out into the sticks, basically this regional park called the Afar. Um, it's got the lowest point in the world. Um, this, this deep valley um, gets really hot and. Uh, and um, uh, we met with tribal groups that have no access to education or healthcare. And uh, a wonderful Christian woman, an Aussie woman, um, the bishop's sister had actually moved there and given her life to caring for uh, the people of the Afar region. Um, and uh, we slept in creek beds and on in you know dirt patches and uh, you know in huts with tribal groups. And it was an amazing kind of uh, introduction as an 18-year-old to see. This Christian woman serving this people um, that had a mix uh, of um, Muslim and Christian faith, 
uh, but she was there to pour out her life and 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 uh, give it sacrificially and care for this this group. And it just laid upon me um, uh, this this kind of um, uh, deep impression of oh, what what the Christian journey is is kind of um, designed to be this sacrificial you know outpouring what Jesus did for us and then what what we do for the world. Um, so it, uh, it really it really spoke to me and, and I guess set me up, um, uh, took me on a course really of serving God, not as extreme as she did, um, <laughs> but uh, trying to use my own gifts um, in different different forms. So uh, in mostly in the aid and development sector, but also um, for a period of time with the Ministry of Alpha and and other things. So um, it's been a wonderful journey. But that was a big big step for me. Um, and as we as we look at the arc of the Bible, the story arc of the Bible, there's this um, there's all these wonderful moments where God is intending for His love to go out to the world. Um, and it, we read it right at the start at Genesis 12, where Abraham is receiving his blessing, um, which is for all uh, peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So all peoples. It wasn't exclusive. Uh, it was um, it was generously poured out for everyone. That blessing starts right at the beginning. And then we, we read about it again um, where um, uh, even in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Uh, and then in um, the great uh, commission where go to all the nations. Uh, you know, this this going out, uh, this this sending out. Uh, and then later in Revelation, um, at the very tail end, there's this moment where every tribe, nation, language and tongue is singing a new song of praise to God. Um, it's a real, that's a real mashup, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, like trying to get every tribe, take, nation and tongue singing one song together um, in harmony would is, is requires a lot of skill, I imagine, but we'll leave that for the heavenly hosts to work out um, and do the sound recording on that, um, the sound <laughs> engineering on that. But um, uh, this this beautiful story, you know, as we look at the Bible of God wanting His love to go out to the world, um, and then this unifying moment where we all come together in one song of praise and glory to Him. Um, but I want to. Um, uh, I want to focus on um, on one particular verse in there, and it's as I was, as I was praying for this church, and we we love this church. We've journeyed with Tanya and Jonathan since their dream of starting this church. Uh, we pray with them regularly. Uh, we, um, we like many of you, I'm sure, um, we contribute financially to this church, even though we don't come here. Um, we we love what God is doing in and through this church, and believe that. Um, Centre Point has a really unique place to play in what God's doing uh, in this region of Sydney. Um, so we, uh, yeah, we really love what what God's doing here. Um, but as I was praying the other the other day, I sensed um, the word that he that the Lord gave me uh, was threshold, um, and that this church was at a at a kind of those. It's stepping into a new season of some kind, and um, I don't know what that is. Um, I didn't discern that far, but um, I just sensed that there was a new season emerging um, for this church, and that, you know I just wanted to pass that on. But also, uh, 
I wanted to share from a passage um, of Scripture where Jesus was at the threshold of his ministry, um, which is in Luke, uh, Luke 4, and you'll probably be familiar with the story, where um, Jesus has just come out of the wilderness being tempted uh, by Satan. And he's starting to, a reputation, the, the rumours are spreading of this Messiah, this Jesus uh, character going around uh, the region of Galilee. And he enters the synagogue of Nazareth and he unrolls the scroll and, and reads from it. It's this threshold moment, mm. this kind of real significant moment of his ministry where he kind of publicly reveals who he is as, as the Son of God. And he, and he reads these words from Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. This is the passage from Isaiah. Jesus didn't read this section. Um, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will, be, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So let's take um, a look back in, and at the Old Testament moment. When we think about this Isaiah 61 passage, what was happening for the people in Israel at that time? Why so much brokenheartedness? Why the references to captivity and mourning? Why so much despair? Um, when Isaiah originally spoke these words, Israel was in exile, um, removed from their promised land for their idolatry, their homes, culture, place of worship um, and identity was about 1,500 kilometres away in a neighbouring nation, um, their old nation, a four-month journey by foot, um, no, no short journey there. Uh, those reading or listening to Isaiah had just been settling into a lifetime of servitude to the Babylon Empire. Um, and then he presents these provocative words. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Many might have actually scoffed at Isaiah. Um, some would have rolled their eyes in disbelief. A few might have leaned in uh, with a flicker of half-hearted hope um, in their bondage. Uh, but when they heard the words to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, it would have invoked something else altogether. Um, a promise from long ago when Yahweh first gave Israel his, his law. The year of the Lord's favour was a phrase associated with a special year known as Jubilee. A ram's horn, sorry, the Jubilee is set out in Deuteronomy 15 and happened every 50 years. 
A ram's horn, a yavel, would have been uh, would have sounded throughout the land on a special day known as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to announce the beginning of jubilee. And you can imagine that trumpet sound. And we again, it, for us as Christians, it conjures images from Revelation as well. Uh, there were four basic themes for jubilee. The first one. Uh, any land which had been sold was returned to the original family, which is quite um, controversial in these real estate times. Um, this, this way, people continued to have an asset returned to them with which they could cultivate harvest and commerce. Secondly, those that had fallen into poverty and sold themselves as servants were released, um, no longer um, in bondage allowing people to regain their rights and their status and their freedom. Thirdly, all debts were cancelled, which is quite amazing. Uh, the land was given a year off to rest. Sorry, fourthly, the land was given a year off to rest and rejuvenate. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? And it's almost like God had built in this kind of massive reset button every 50 years for the kind of the system to reset and for people to reset. Um, we obviously didn't hold too closely to uh, the year of Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, Isaiah 61 was a reminder to Israel again in a position of slavery and bondage, this time in Babylon, that God had not forgotten them. In fact, Isaiah was reminding them of the Jubilee and that, that God is in the business of releasing prisoners caring for the poor and cancelling debts. And the people of Israel at the time would have been kind of, you know, shocked by this, uh, woken to this message. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had your debts cancelled, uh, but it's one of the most liberating experiences. And I remember um, I was early 20s and I'd foolishly taken out a loan to buy a, a car um, Cars are one of those things you probably don't take out a loan to, to do. Um, but I, I had, and um, I think it was about a, a $20,000 debt. I hadn't used all of it, but um, I yeah, used that to buy a car. And I, I was using it for good purposes. I was heading up missions for um, my church at the time, and so I was driving out to rural towns around Canberra, uh, running youth clubs and things like that, using this, this car. And anyway, I'd, um, I'd gone... I'd, been working, uh, this is one of the low points of my faith journey, uh, because I'd been working, um, the, the, I want to premise this, it wasn't a low point because I was a travel agent, okay, I'm about to tell you that I was working as a travel agent, but I'd, um, um, I'd where I'd been working at a mall, Belconnen Mall, and I packed on a lot of weight, I was very unhappy mentally, and I, um, uh, what I'd become good at was selling Contiki tours. Um, so there's nothing good in claiming that. Um, and so I was sending all these young people off to their peril. Uh, and <laughs> how I see it. And um, so uh, anyway, because I was Gold. I was so good at selling Contiki tours, um, Contiki said we want to take you over to Europe and um, and give you a uh, you know a free Contiki uh, with all these other travel agents. And so I went for ten days travelling around and timed perfectly with a friend's wedding in Switzerland. So I said, yep, great, works well. And so I did this Tiki tour and it was um, debaucherous uh, not, and, and as a Christian, uh, you know, it was really challenging. Um, but um, 
afterwards I was in Switzerland uh, and praying and uh, I'm, you know, Switzerland's a great place to go and pray because there's lots of good mountains to sit on top of. And um, and I remember just going, Lord, I'm just so unhappy where I'm at in my journey. You know, if you could clear this debt, um, I'd just do anything for you. I'd, I'd serve you wherever you want me to be. And my heart was for the nation. So I wanted to go to either Africa or Thailand or somewhere interesting and exciting, the slums of Asia somewhere. Anyway, um, I was like, okay, God, I'll, you know, I'll lay this dream down. I'll serve you wherever you want. Um, and uh, the weekend I got back from that trip, a mate called me up and said, John, can I borrow your car? And I've got a job interview in Sydney. Um, can I drive up? And, uh, my car's broken down. I've got to get some parts. Can I borrow yours? I said, sure, I'll just pop in the insurance. And no problem. Anyway, he drove up to Sydney. He went to his job interview. He, um, on the way home, went through a red light, rode off the car. He was fine. Um, but the insurance paid off the debt. So this all happened within three days of me returning from my trip and praying in Switzerland. So uh, God got my attention. And about 12 months later, I was serving overseas, but not in a slum in Asia or in Africa. I was in Birmingham, England, um, where I spent the next three years doing youth and young adult ministry. Um, but it was the only door that opened. But the reason I share that story is I was... I laid down this thing of, God, please cancel my debts. And he helped cancel the debts to free me up, to serve him. Uh, going back to this passage, God's spirit was cancelling debts in Babylon in the time of Isaiah, and he is cancelling debts today. Now that's worth making a noise about, if only we all had a yeshel. Um So... The second thing uh, I think this passage points us to is the restoration of identity, um, a recalibration of identity. Uh, Poverty has many faces, um, and people struggle with many things that hold them back. Um, It can take some... It can uh, sometimes be financial, but it can also be systematic, like a weak uh, government system or biased legislation, and it can also be social, an absence of friendship. Uh, or um, social networks can, can easily cause poverty. So let's consider our own geographical area. You've got, you guys live or worship on the northern beaches. Um, uh, what are the struggles? I'd love to hear from you. Just, you know, what are the struggles? What are the points that you see of, of um, poverty in your own area? Good and question. They yeah. might not be so obvious. Where are the, where are the struggles? Mm. One thing I've noticed in our community is mental health. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So sense of direction, meaning. Yep. What's all this about? Yep. Redefining poverty in very broad terms. No, so that's yeah. right. Mm. About spiritual poverty, mm. stemming from that um, relationship. Yep. Like yeah. meaningful relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's yep. a lot of very surface. Yep. It's um, good yeah. 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 I say like individualism, like a lot of focus on yourself. Yeah. Like a lot of focus on just how you're yes. going, what you're doing, what you look like, what you're. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
My life done so amazing. Yeah. You yep. see the beach this morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That Instagram yeah. of a yeah. life, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. No, that's a really good point. Yeah, and I think it lends itself to the shallow relationships yeah. and the shallow relationships mm. ends up with, mm. you know, mental health weakness and vulnerabilities and, um, yeah. yeah. Yep. Any other reflections? What else have you noticed? A lot of self-sufficiency of mm. people and that like leaves emptiness. Like, mm. And I think people are just like searching but they're looking at all these other ways to kind of fulfil themselves but they're still ending up quite empty. Yes. Which leads into, I guess, all of that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think it, it seems like a, oh, but I don't need anything. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm totally fine. Yes. I'm just relaxing. Yes. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Clearly, I'm yes. fine. Yeah. 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 I was catching up with a friend from New Zealand where we were in Hawke's Bay and there was so much poverty, like mm. genuine poverty and genuine, very yep. uh, surface level need that you're like, yeah. oh, you need a pair of pajamas for your child. Yeah. You need a way to get to school. You need. And whereas on the northern beaches, I think. There's just a, a denial of yeah. any need because, you know, I've got a house, I've got this, I've got yes. that, I've got um, the beach. Yeah. The beach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else do I need? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They're all good reflections. Yeah. Um, I think um, one of the big paradoxes of, of, of the type of work I've been involved in is observing how joyful people are in countries where there is mass poverty, mm-hmm. like, uh, obvious poverty. Um, spiritually rich and alive, um, some might say, and yet physically, materially poor. Um, yet we see, you know, you know, in places like the beaches, um, you know, materially rich but perhaps spiritually poor. Um, and that, trying to find that, that balance in life, uh, it seems difficult to achieve. Um, Isaiah 61 describes how God uh, liberates people um, and, I guess, finds that equilibrium um, and brings that new identity to his family. Uh, It reads, To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. I think the symbolism is really, really powerful there. Um, that, that crown, the crown signifies royalty, um, this invitation into God's family and participation in his royal, you know, his royalness, his, his authority. Um, and as we follow Jesus, we join no ordinary family. We, we join this royal family. To be given oil of joy can be ter- interpreted as, as anointing, not just any kind of anointing, uh, but an, an anointing of delight and happiness and elation, this joy. Uh, and um, Tim Keller talks about that uh, joy being um, the, the evidence of, of um, God at work in our lives. He says... We can have um, head knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus and the experience of uh, the resurrection of Jesus through His Spirit, but uh, if we don't, have, if we have one or the other, we, we usually don't end up with joy. But if we have both, 
We recognise it was a historical event that happened, that Jesus rose from the dead, yes, that happened in history, but we experience it in our hearts, this coming alive. We, um, we experience joy. Um, and we receive a garment of praise, which describes an outward posture of thankfulness to God as the weight of our debts and suffering are lifted. As we consider the many ways that our neighbours, our community and ourselves are struggling, God is longing to release us from an identity which describes us as indebted, mournful or desperate because of depression, domestic violence, homelessness, uh, things you've mentioned, the self uh, selfishness, the shallowness, uh, this Instagrammable life, you know, the dissatisfaction, you know, that, that um, it, you know, partially bring, it partially brings satisfaction, but not full satisfaction. Um, he reframes us and invites us into that belonging and that sense of belonging in the royal family, the joy of knowing him and that posture of praise and, and adoration towards him. I, um, I remember, uh, sorry, for, for about eight years I worked for an organisation called World Vision and um, I did some work with a group um, with World Vision's uh, team in the Solomon Islands. My job was mostly to work with churches uh, and so not so much on the program delivery side but to actually support churches in the countries where World Vision worked. And um, and um, one of the big challenges in the Solomon Islands, uh, being a Christian population, okay, so 95% of the population of the Solomon Islands is Christian, and <coughs> culturally Christian. Yet, the biggest social issue there is um, gender-based violence or domestic violence towards women and children. And some terrible stories of, of, um, of suffering amongst the, the women and children there, extreme violence, uh, um, being, you know, which was this strange dichotomy, working with a Christian nation, uh, working with churches who are responding to this, this out-of-control uh, issue of, of violence. And so um, one of the things we were rolling out was uh, a program called Channels of Hope, and uh, it used the Bible to, um, to help train pastors and lay leaders on um, addressing the violence, and it was quite successful. Uh, it's now um, have rolled out to about 59 other countries. But um, but uh, one of the I remember one of the pastors from one of these island, one of the Solomon Island pastors, saying to me um, when he was partway through the the reflections of the scripture, and you got to remember they don't have access to the biblical theological training that perhaps we do. Um, just this revelation of, um, of scripture, teaching him that the, these behaviours were not okay and that there was a cultural shift that needed to happen in his nation, uh, in tears with me that he had actually um, supported, um, you know, behaviours that would prop up that violence and that he actually had to be part of the, the solution. Um, it was this, this shift of posture, this mourning you know, this position of despair that he'd got to, to one of joyfulness where he had to go from, go through that U-curve, if you like, really get broken, his heart broken for what the issue was and then restored by scripture to understand what the solution was. 
The third thing I think this passage is that Jesus read out at his threshold moment is around uh, glorifying God or righteousness, um, how we live our lives. Um, the, the passage reads, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. Righteousness is more how we treat people, and particularly the poor, than how shiny our halo is. Um, again, Tim Keller, um, New York pastor, uh, wrote, writes in his book, um, Generous Justice, uh, the Hebrew word for being righteous is tazidka, and it refers to a life of right relationships. When most modern people see the word righteousness in the Bible, they tend to think of it in terms of private morality, such as sexual chastity or diligence in prayer and Bible study. But in the Bible, tazidika refers to day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity and equity, especially among the poor. Mm. To be righteous then means creating balance between, uh, between the rich and the poor, treating the downtrodden with dignity but also with generosity. Righteousness is faith with action. You see, all God's efforts to rescue and redeem the people of Israel was so that they would uh, be his holy and righteous people, loving God and neighbour for his glory. It's interesting how Isaiah uses a tree as the metaphor for righteousness, the oak of righteousness. Now, when we think of oaks, we think of um, an English oak. You know, big, strong trunk, broad branches, green leaves, acorns dropping, and so forth. Yeah, that's the picture. But um, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that there's no such tree in that land, in the arid land there. And um, uh, the Hebrew translation from this from this passage in Isaiah refers to a tree called the Teberinth tree, um, which looks vastly different. Um, It is well known in that part of the world and grows well in rocky, arid soil. Uh, And when it in flower has a striking red contrast to the landscape around it, Um, really quite bright and vibrant red. Um, Isaiah was giving the exiles a mental postcard of home. He was saying, remember, this is what righteousness looks like, to stand out from the, the rest by your right living. Uh, He was doing two things, giving them hope, but also reminding them that they are to stand out from other nations because of their righteousness. As Jesus put it, a city on a hill or a lamp on a lampstand. And Isaiah wrote, they will be called trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Our service for and with the poor isn't so we look good, and can put it on our Instagram, but so God does. So how can we love the poor today? Um, Leviticus 19 gives us a a great clue if you want to go and have a look at it, but it talks about creating margin. Uh, In in those times, they used to kind of leave about 10% of the field or 10% of their crops unkept, and that was so the poor could go and... Uh, take whatever they needed from that 10%. That's where we get that concept of the tithe. Um, So what can we give or make available to the poor? Uh, We can look for impromptu moments. Um, 
who might you meet in your weekly routines? Um, for me, there's this homeless guy. My office is in Chatswood, uh, and um, there's this homeless guy that's always shaking his his uh, slurpy cup, um, asking for money. His name's Jacob, and I stop by and have a chat to him all the time. He's actually a really good photographer, I found out. Is that um, the bloke who's always at 7-Eleven? Yeah, mm. I think so. Well, just down, yeah. just down from yeah. there. Big guy, mm. solid guy. Um, and I uh, love stopping and chatting to him, and, um, yeah, we, we were building a little bit of um, connection there and uh, enough connection now that I can offer to help him and stuff like that. Um, and we can practice hospitality as well. Uh, I think one of the big challenges that Jesus gave us was about who we share our meals with um, and, um, and who we invite to dine at our tables. Um, and he says in, in Luke 14 uh, and Matthew 11 about um, don't just uh, have meals with those who are, who are popular or like, well-liked, um, but to actually invite strangers and those who are different to us to our table. Um, so it's fascinating uh, to read uh, that in Deuteronomy 15, when God dished out his laws, his instructions were to create a just society where there was to be no poor among them. Then we read later in Acts 4, uh, after the Holy Spirit has come and the early church was selling homes and making generous contributions to the mission of the church, that there was no poor among them. This was God's vision coming into reality. He asked for it in Deuteronomy 15, and many years later, when the early church's birth, one of the sig- signifiers of the early church, that was that this generosity, this shared, this common good amongst them, amongst their community, was there was no poor among them. So may as a result of God's Spirit's anointing, there be no poor among us also. Jesus cancels our debts. He restores our identity. He gets glorified when we are in relationship and working to alleviate the suffering of the poor. Should we pray? Yeah. Well, loving God, I thank you for this wonderful group of believers. We lift up our friends, Tanya and Jonathan and, their, and Blakely and their little one, to you mm. now. And we uh, just reflect on, on these passages of scripture and the stories shared and we just take into our hearts what you want us to take in and leave what you don't. May your spirit challenge us and invite us into a deeper journey with you. And Lord, we can help people's debts be cancelled, uh, where our identities are restored and reformed in you, and where we can give you glory because of our faith uh, being lived out. We just let your spirit come now. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart. So we see you.